The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Pam Farley talks about what it takes to grow a high-yield container food garden in this week's episode. Her successful methods have produced many a good meal for her family. Since grade school, Pam has been gardening and writing. These two interests collided in 2009 when she created the website brownthumbmama.com. There she documents her huge list of home and garden tips. Millions of readers from all around the world visit her site to learn about vegetable gardening, easy recipes, and making a non-toxic home. Pam is the author of The First Time Gardener, Container Food Gardening. This is episode 99, Container Food Gardening Abundance with Pam Farley on the Garden Question Podcast. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Pam, why is growing your own food worth it? It is worth it for so many reasons. The top reasons are because you never know when there's going to be a recall on something, whether it's alfalfa sprouts, romaine lettuce, spinach, whether your store is going to be out of something, it's not going to be good quality, or it's going to be too expensive. The best reason, of course, is that gardening is so much fun. It can be fun for you to get out in the sun and putter around. It's fun for young people, and it's a great way to keep in touch with what you're eating and making sure that what you're eating is the healthiest it can be. Why do you prefer to grow in containers? It's so much easier to garden in containers because you have almost complete control over the ecosystem. You can't always keep the snails and slugs away. You can make sure that the plant has the correct soil. You can make sure it has the right amount of water. And you can apply different gardening methods or give different TLC to different plants. For example, blueberries would need a more acidic soil. Carrots find it a lot easier to grow in a loose soil that's not really hard and compact, which is what the soil that we walk on in our lawn and garden. It's a lot easier to tailor the environment to exactly what you want to grow and make sure that it can grow its best. What are the essentials you need to have to start a high-yield container garden? There's a lot of gizmos and gadgets out there that folks, companies try to sell you. There's actually only a couple of things you need to start a container garden. You need a food-safe container. Please don't plant in a lead bucket from the 1800s or an old tire or anything that you wouldn't eat out of. It needs to have good drainage, and of course, you need to have good container soil. You can actually mix up your own, or you can buy soil specifically for container gardening that is lightweight and not as thick and clay-like as the soil might be in your garden. Maybe you only need a trowel or a cobra head weeder. 
you don't need lots of shovels and rakes and hoes and different things. You can get started with just a few things. How about sun? What kind of sun conditions do we need to have? Most of the time to grow veggies, you're going to want full sun, which means at least six hours. If you're up in the northern regions, more like eight hours of sun a day. That does not mean that if there's a cloudy day or if there's shade for an hour or two a day, doesn't mean that your veggies are going to die. It just means that they'll do their very best when they have the maximum amount of sun. Is it better to start your plants when you're ready to plant from seed or do you want to buy a plant already started? How do you determine that? That is a great question. So there are some plants grow better from seed and some plants just don't like to be transplanted. I have a brand new book coming out called The First Time Gardener Container Food Gardening. I talk about which plants are better to grow from seed and which plants are better to grow from transplant or start. For example, carrots, the part of the carrot that we eat is the root. So carrots really only like to be started from seed. The garden center will still try to sell you carrot seedlings, but a lot of the time they won't make it because if you think about how thin those little roots are when you transplant them, they're probably not going to survive. I have a great chart in the book that shows which plants are recommended to plant from starts or seedlings and which are best to start from seed. And a lot of times in a garden center, you'll see the, the smaller plants in a cell pack, and then you'll see them in a four inch or three and a half, and then you'll see them in six inch. And then I've even seen them like in 10 inch pots, like a tomato plant. It's already growing. It's really big. It may even have some fruit on it. Is that a good idea to buy those type plants? It's kind of like ready-made garden to take home. Is that a good idea or is there something you need to watch out for on that? I prefer to buy the smaller plants in a six-pack just because it's more economical and you'll get more plants for your money and the plants are younger. What you're paying for when you get those larger plants is more TLC from the nursery or the grower. The danger, and I've seen this a lot, is folks will be at the garden center and think, oh, hot diggity, this bell pepper already has a pepper on it. Well, most vegetable plants produce fruit or vegetables when they're getting near their maturity because the point of the vegetable is to produce seeds for future generations. If you've got a bell pepper in a little bitty pot and it's already producing fruit, it thinks it's on its last legs and it's thinking, oh, I better make some seeds so that I can keep the bell pepper population going. It may not survive well and thrive if you plant it into your container at home because it thinks it's on the downhill. Much better to get a younger plant that will take a little bit longer for you to get food from it because it will last longer in the long run. What, how do we need to select our soils? There are a lot of confusing options at the garden center. Although it might seem tempting to just scoop up soil from your yard to put into your containers, I don't recommend it. There's a lot of good stuff in our garden soil, but there could also be funguses and grubs and bugs. And the soil is often, at least around here, it's very heavy and clay-like. If you choose a container soil, you want to get one that has less additives. A lot of them will add in chemical fertilizers and stuff like that. The simplest container gardening soil only has a couple of ingredients. It'll have cocoa core, which is shredded coconut husks, vermiculite and perlite, maybe a little bit of compost purchased or homegrown, some worm castings. 
I have a recipe for that in my container food gardening book. Or you can just keep an eye out at your garden center or soil supplier for a nice, simple recipe that doesn't have a lot of extra strange ingredients in it. That soil will be loose and lightweight so water can drain because you don't want your container plants to be sitting in soggy water, but it'll also have good nutrients for your veggies. So you're not getting a potting soil anymore that has peat moss in it? I choose not to use peat moss because peat moss is virtually non-renewable. It takes thousands of years for the peat to break down and create peat moss. When we have a more ecologically sustainable option, which is cocoa core, has traditionally been a waste product of coconut processing. I think that's a much better choice. You just want to make sure that you choose cocoa core that says it's been washed or rinsed so that it doesn't have lots of salts in it. In your book, Container Food Gardening, one of the things I like about it is the guides that you include in there take a variety and then you break it down to all different things you need to know for planting that like the container size i never thought about this particular plant should have a minimum size of container tell us about that if you're a brand new gardener or if you're just new to container gardening there can be a lot of choices and it can be somewhat paralyzing and the container size does matter to a certain degree For example, if you had a wide, shallow container, that would be great for radishes. Probably not going to be great for carrots because they're not going to have enough room to grow. I have put in different charts and tips to help folks know, okay, my family likes to eat eggplant and chard, and I like to put parsley as a garnish on a lot of dishes. So what size pot am I going to need? Which varieties of chard and eggplant and different veggies are going to grow best in a container? Usually container vegetables are specifically bred to be smaller in size. They'll still produce the same size fruit, but the plant itself will be more compact. Try to list specific varieties to keep your eye out for at the garden center the right container size, how much water and sun the different veggies are going to need, plants that grow well together, and plants that should be kept apart. Just like people, sometimes plants do better together and other plants do better when they are kept apart. They don't grow as well when they're planted together. Those are important things to know before you plant your containers. You also test better results from seed or better results from buying a plant. Talk about the fertilization needs and so the expectations for harvest. I think that's really neat how you put that together. Thanks. Trying to make it as easy as possible for the beginning gardener. There's just so many questions that the books think that you know. I wanted to make this accessible and friendly and there's no such thing as a silly question or a question that's too basic. You do cover the basics real good in it. And you don't have to be a beginner garden to learn from that. Also, different companion plantings and combinations of plantings under what you call recipes. Would you pull one out and just kind of tell us how that works? So a lot of time, even with the charts and the choices and the different ideas that I give in the book, folks might still think, oh my gosh, I don't know what to pick. There's too many kinds. There's too many choices. Can't somebody please just tell me exactly what to do? Great news. I have planting recipes in the book, and they are specifically tailor-made for different desires or situations. For example, there's a spring stir-fry garden, or a salad garden, or a spaghetti sauce garden. 
my kids really enjoyed having their own container garden. It's always more fun for kids when there's colorful veggies and things that they can just eat right off the plants. Give specific examples of what you can put in a 10-gallon kids' garden. Purple snow peas, a cherry tomato, some strawberry plants, a mini pumpkin, little mini cucumbers. They have their own fun garden that they can grow themselves and eat just about everything it produces. It's more examples of ways that you can get started without having to do an in-depth analysis. You can just look at the different planting recipe gardens and say, oh, I'm going to do that. Here's exactly what I need to do. I have a grandson. He's going to be two when it comes planting time. Is that too early to start him in a container garden or start him gardening? Oh, absolutely not. So at two, they're probably going to be more likely to eat the strawberries than to plant the strawberries. But I know when my kids are little, they were just tickled to be out there with free permission to get dirty. We'd gotten them some little plastic garden tools. And even if they don't plant everything at the perfect depth and with the perfect everything, they will get such a kick out of being part of the experience, being able to play in the dirt, do the watering and stuff. My kids would just sit in the strawberry patch and just eat (laughs) (laughs) Just right, just right there in the middle of the garden. So yeah, it's definitely never too early. They love every minute of it. What's the craziest container you've ever grown an edible plant in? Ooh, that's an excellent question. We have a tradition out here, and it may be everywhere, but at our county fair, a lot of the grade schools will get an old broken wheelbarrow and drill some holes in the bottom. The class will make a garden usually like different salad veggies or stuff like that. They display their gardens at the county fair, which the kids just think is the best thing ever. I have helped with that many times. So I would say an old broken down wheelbarrow would be my most unusual. How do you go about selecting the right container for your garden? That is a good question. And it's actually really important because when you are choosing a container, there's some important things to keep in mind. First of all, your container has to be big enough for the final size of the plant. For example, if you only had a little soup can, you would not want to plant an orange tree in it. That's a silly example, but you want to make sure that it's big enough that the plant can grow to its full potential. Another one that's really important is it needs to be food safe. I see lots of stuff on the internet where folks are saying, plant your potatoes in a stack of old tires or use this container from the 99 cent store that could be spray painted with who knows what. In my opinion, it is not worth the risk because you're going to eat this food. It's not worth the risk of the chemicals in those containers leaching or transferring into your food, especially if you're feeding it to your family. It's just not worth the risk. Always better to plant in a container that you would not worry about eating off. If you have your heart set on maybe an old bucket that was out in the barn that you're not sure if it's safe, then use a plastic container on the inside and then put the bucket on the outside as like a decorative container. The third part that you want to make sure about with your containers is they have to have good drainage. A lot of containers at the big box stores are pretty, but they aren't actually made for growing things. They don't have drainage. They might not have a saucer underneath. 
If your plants don't have drainage, it's very possible that there will be too much water and the roots will rot. And then your plant will die and will be wailing and gnashing your teeth trying to figure out what went wrong. The soil needs to dry out a little and the plants need to be able to breathe. The container has to have good drainage. Now, if I've got four or five containers that I'm doing and I'm buying potting soil for all those, that can get quite expensive. So do you go ahead and fill it up halfway to economize on your planting with bark or rocks or whatever just to fill it up? What's your thoughts on that? This is a very common garden myth. It has been completely busted by science, not just by opinion. I hear a lot that, oh, the container will be heavy or it's expensive to put all that soil in. So put in some packing peanuts or put some empty two-liter jugs at the bottom of the container and things like that. You absolutely do not want to do that with your container for a few reasons. Number one, it changes the center of gravity. It's lighter on the bottom and heavier on the top. It's more likely to tip over, especially if it's not a superbly stable container. Also, that changes having two different materials in there. There's a different density between the soil and the stuff at the bottom. The water, which you want to drain out, is going to tend to stay in the soil because it has trouble transferring between those different permeable layers. You're actually defeating the purpose of having better drainage when you put that debris in the bottom of your container. It's better to only fill up a container part of the way. It doesn't have to be full all the way to the tippy top. It's better to just fill it up part of the way with only soil and have it be better draining. You've already mentioned some things about your new book, Container Food Gardening. What else would you like to tell us about it? A lot of gardening books out there say they're for beginners, but they don't answer the beginningest beginner questions. Things like, how do I plant a seed? How do I plant a start or a seedling from the garden center? I have step-by-step pictures on how to do exactly those things. Also, I tried to answer as many beginner questions as I could. What happens if the container's too small? Will my plant die immediately? No, it won't. It just might not grow as big as it could. The troubleshooting section is arranged a lot differently than most traditional garden books. Most traditional garden books, you have to know what's the matter before you can figure out how to fix it. You have to know that I have tomato hornworms or I have loopers or this or that. My troubleshooting section is written by the problem. So you can say, oh, it looks like I have white flower on my squash leaves. And you can just look it up by the way the leaves look. And then you'll say, oh, it could be downy mildew. Here's what I should do. Or, hey, there's black crumbs on my tomato leaves. What does that mean? Oh, okay, black crumbs on my tomato leaves probably means that I have tomato hornworms. Here's what I should do hey, the leaves are turning yellow or things like that that I don't see presented in other gardening books. I was going through your book. It is great, even for the established gardener, I think. I can see very well how it would be helpful for the beginner garden. If you're just decided, I want to grow vegetables, be a perfect book to get started with because you answer so many of the simple, easy questions be definitely a need for that. I think it'd be perfect for the beginner gardener and the experienced gardener also. You've branded yourself as the brown thumb mama. I'm saying, all right, she's written a book now about being successful growing. Why is she branding herself as the brown thumb mama? What's the story behind that? 
I started my website in 2009. I've been gardening in my city backyard since 1996. I was gardening at home with dad and grandpa long before that. Every year, and it never fails, new and experienced gardeners will know, not everything grows great every year. Some years are better than others, but you can always keep learning. The year that I started my website, I had just tried potatoes for the first time. And I thought, oh, hot diggity, I'm going to grow, you know, russet potatoes the size of a football. It's going to be fantastic. Just like Aunt Janet. She's a fantastic gardener. It's the end of the season and I dumped out the container because the potatoes grow underground. Container gardening is perfect for those. Dumped them out, waiting for my big giant potatoes, and they were the size of golf balls. <laughs> Never seen a russet potato the size of a golf ball in my life, <laughs> except for mine. Decided that I wasn't a terrible gardener. The people that are a terrible gardener, they say they have a black thumb. People that are great gardeners say they have a green thumb. So I decided I was someplace in the middle. Sometimes I can grow an artichoke like nobody's business, but potatoes are still my nemesis. <laughs> I'm still not having a lot of luck with potatoes. <laughs> what do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden or landscape? I think a lot of times there is a bigger emphasis on what the neighbors will think than the usefulness of the property. I know there's hoas and different things, but I think as far as professional designers and things like that, they might be surprised if they invited their clients to include some edibles in their landscape design. Even if you don't end up eating the chard, it can be very striking in a border. I have artichokes in a row across my front yard because that's where the sun's better and not everybody's going to want that. I have met a lot of the neighbors that way. They stop by and chit-chat. It's pretty cool. It's worth considering and asking your clients about. What garden myth do you wish would just go away? There are many of them, believe me. One of the ones that I see all the time online is, oh, hey, when you're planting tomatoes, you should put in Epsom salts and eggshells and antacids and all kinds of stuff in the soil. Please, please do not do all those things. The myth is that adding these items to the soil will prevent blossom end rot, which is where your tomato plants look lovely and wonderful on the top, but then underneath they have this black leathery patch. The reason for blossom end rot is because there's not enough calcium. And so the myth says, oh, you know, if you add Epsom salts or eggshells or Tums to the soil, those all have calcium. So the plant can slurp them up from the soil and then it'll be okay. Unfortunately, that's not how the science works. The calcium comes to the plant through water. And if your plant is irregularly watered or poorly watered, your tomato plant is much more likely to end up with blossom end rot. All that miscellaneous stuff that you put in the soil is not going to help its fertility and definitely not going to make your plant grow better. My suggestion when you're planting tomatoes is to not include all those weird, unusual things like Tums and Epsom salt, but maybe just give it a little extra scoop of compost. Make sure you're mulching it, make sure you're watering it consistently, and that will prevent blossom and rot a lot better than giving it a Rolaids. 
How about rejuvenating the soil in your pot from last year? Do you use fresh soil or can you rejuvenate that? People will say, oh, but don't you have to dump out the soil every year and start over? And gosh, that's awful expensive. That's not the case. If you find that there's a disease that's gone through, like late blight or something, unlikely if you're using clean, fresh soil, but theoretically possible. Then you do need to get rid of the soil and sterilize the container. But most of the time, it's completely fine to reuse the potting soil. You can either pour all your containers into a wheelbarrow and add some compost and worm castings and stir it up and redistribute, or you can just refresh the individual containers with compost and worm castings. Then they're ready to replant. What is your earliest garden memory? My grandparents had some property out in the country. They had built their house. Let's see, I might have been eight or ten. Grandpa was going to have me help mow the hay, which was just the coolest thing ever. He got me on the tractor, showed me how to make it go. It was probably a riding lawnmower, but it, I thought it was a tractor. And I mowed, and I mowed, and I mowed, and I mowed, and I was sure I had mowed a million acres, and I was so proud of myself, and I had mowed about a third of an acre. (laughs) (laughs) That was my earliest memory, and I, I remember they had a vegetable garden, and they had an orchard, and I remember helping them out in the summertime. I've been a gardener since I was pretty little thing. Why'd you decide to pursue teaching gardening? When I started my website, I had a variety of ideas that I wanted to share. I was working a corporate job at the time, and a lot of the other folks that worked there wanted to know my money-saving tips, and I make my own natural cleaners, bake my own bread, grow my own garden, that kind of thing had a a broader focus on my website. And then I realized no matter where I was, gardening was the stuff that people always asked me about. I was at a comic book convention and this big hulking guy said, oh, you have a garden? I I have trouble with my tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) And so that just kind of pointed me in the right direction. I still have information on natural recipes and eco-friendly living on Brantha Mama, but the main focus is gardening because it's something that everybody can do and everybody has questions about. You've interacted with a lot of folks and a lot of experience in your own gardening through the years. Do you tell us a funny garden story from that? The front cover of my book is a picture of me holding a giant cabbage, and I was so tickled. I had never successfully grown a cabbage it was from a start. It was gigantic. And I was just tickled. And my little daughter took a picture of me holding it. We took it inside and we got ready to prep it, to shred it up for coleslaw. And that's when I learned that when you grow your own cabbage, you should probably soak it in water for a little while before you eat it, because there's probably a bug or two. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, we found the bugs before we started chopping but it kind of put us off the idea of using it for coleslaw. So we donated it to the uh, school guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> have you swore off cabbage since then or have you gotten brave and eaten it? No, but I haven't gotten another one to grow that well. So I have some broccoli right now that's almost ready to harvest, but I'm going to soak it in water before <laughs> we eat it just to make sure. <laughs> Why do you think that particular one grew that big? You know, I am not sure because I bought it in a six-pack and none of the rest of them made it. 
again, with the brown thumb. But that particular cabbage was off in a corner. It, it happened to be in one of the raised beds as opposed to a container. It was back in a corner where I had not grown anything earlier that year. I'm betting that there was probably more nutrients in the soil for it. All the bugs must have gone to the other five cabbages from the six pack. What is your most valuable garden mistake? I think the most important thing to remember is that there's always next year. Goodness knows there have been so many mistakes. I have planted things in the wrong location. I've planted things at the wrong time of year. And I see on the different websites and groups and things and people will say, one leaf of my plant has turned yellow. What do I do? It's okay. If your plants don't make it, you're still a gardener. You're a gardener if you only get one bell pepper out of six plants. Don't give up just because everything didn't turn out great one year or another. Nobody's going to take away your card, your membership card or your gardener card. We can all still keep trying and learning. And even though there's mistakes and bugs and things like that, we can keep on growing. What have you recently learned about gardening? I have recently learned that if you plant strawberries in the front yard, all the neighbor kids will come eat them. But that's not really a bad thing. You'd be surprised where you can tuck in some veggies or some fruit. For example, we have the side yards along the side of the house. I was watching how the sun falls with the, we have two story houses around us and the neighbor's trees and stuff and realized that we had put grass in those areas for a play area for the kids. They're not outside playing anymore. They're grown up. So we put some citrus trees along one side. So we have citrus alley on one side of the house and put apple trees on the other side of the house. I've learned it's okay to rethink the way you use your yard over the years. Someday, maybe there'll be grandkids playing under those fruit trees. And for now, we'll just enjoy where we're at. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. In my garden, I have had lots of fun and great experiences and lots of failures. And that's okay. Well, tell us about your garden. I have lots of fruit trees in the front and backyards, blueberries, apples, citrus, apricots, I also have lots of containers, some raised beds with not a whole lot growing right now because it's pretty early in the season. You know, snow peas, broccoli, lots of chard. I'm in zone nine, so chard overwinters. If you plant one chard plant, you're going to be eating chard for the next several years, <laughs> the foreseeable future. We don't quite grow all the veggies that we can eat, but we do grow enough for our family and to share. On a great year, we have enough to share with our local food bank, which is really important to me. What did you learn from your garden last year that you're going to apply this year? It's very difficult to over-fertilize if you're using natural fertilizers. It is entirely possible to overdose on chemical fertilizers. If you're mixing in you know, homemade compost or worm castings, it's very hard to overdose on those. Your plants will be super happy. I had bad yields out of one of my garden beds. After I thought about it, I hadn't added any amendments or anything to the soil in quite a while. This year, I'm pumping it up with homemade compost and worm castings. What are your future plans for your garden? I'm going to see how many more fruit trees I can squeeze into this tiny little yard. <laughs> our, ba our backyard is mostly swimming pool. We've got veggies growing in the front and the back. 
containers really good for that. I've got them lining one side of the driveway. This year, I am planning on trying some new varieties. Renee's Garden has a climbing zucchini. We are big on zucchini here. Definitely going to give that a shot. Going to see how many different varieties of cucumber we can grow. We have slicers and picklers and snackers. So I'm going to try some different varieties there. Always looking forward to the abundance that is the summer harvest. What plant are you in love with this week? Oh, this week. Definitely my blueberries because they just have new buds coming out and they're so, so beautiful and they need to be pruned. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to kind of close out with? I want to thank you very much for having me because I'm absolutely tickled to be here. And I have a special gift for the folks that have found my book from the Garden Question podcast. If you go to brownthumbmama.com slash shop, you can pre-order the book. And if you enter in your email and your order number, you get a free bonus chapter of the book. It's not in the book, but it's an extra bonus chapter on making your own compost. So that'd be super helpful and a a free goodie to thank you for your pre-order. Pam, tell us how people may connect with you. You can find me on my website, Brown Thumb Mama. B-R-O-W-N-T-H-U-M-B-M-A-M-A dot com and on all the socials under Brown Thumb Mom. This has been episode 99, Container Food Gardening Abundance with Pam Farley on the Garden Question Podcast. Thank you, Pam. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.